0: This is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. Welcome back. Mr. Steven Stanley is back in the studio. How are you doing, man? Well, Brent, thanks for having me. And again, this is really cool. Yeah. Well, last time we get together, we did a uh, Christmas episode, which is a lot of fun.
1: Yes. Uh, it was It was fun for me, too. as a real sort of look down memory lane. And, uh, you know, that, like I told you that when we were talking about it, it's like Christmas music is so rooted in the, my earliest days and the way my the way my dad sort of turned us into a music listening family so yeah. it was it was nice to talk about all the songs for
0: sure one uh christmas record i forgot to mention was the uh much dreaded uh bony m christmas album <laughs> i was forced to listen to as a kid uh, yeah, you know even I, even during non-christmas periods that thing would play every now and again it's funny because we have that on on cd and uh i I don't even include
1: it in my collection and no. uh, uh my wife takes it to her office every year so <laughs> it's, it's
0: good a good place for it right I have to listen to it yeah I don't want to hear it <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I've heard more than enough of uh yeah, that right so, for the rest of my it's life It's
1: funny that they don't seem to be like they this past holiday season I didn't hear it much so I, they seem to be out of the cycle now so yeah yeah, yeah. well they need a better ahead. they need a better radio tracker I guess
0: yeah <laughs> True Okay, so now we are going to do a uh, a regular episode. Um, I've got a, a whole new list of songs for you here, but um, I wanted to uh, you know touch on Jimmy and the Moon mm-hmm. again because I think it's a fantastic record. Thank you. You know, like I said on the last show, I was at the Riv, uh, watching the show, the the record release party. I thought you guys did a great job, and uh, I kind of I freaked out when you when you uh, you talked about the Minor Birds a little bit because I have a, a funny story about that, but. A lot of people don't know, and I didn't know before I heard the story, that Rick James, who was in the Minutemen, yeah. and w- what are we talking? Like late '60s? No, like the, no, not late. I think it's more like uh, like '62. Was it earlier in that
1: yeah. area? I think. I guess it, I guess it would. Happen, I, yeah. my, my history's foggy, but I think it must be earlier than that. Because when you figure, like when when had Neil Neil Young moved into the Buffalo Springfield? Like that's got to be. Before yeah. the seventies, I would think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, like, he's long past, past, past the minor birds when he's doing Buffalo Springfield stuff. So, I want to say like 66, 67. That Seems maybe. about right. Yeah. And the people are probably yelling at their uh, listening devices right now too, because there are people that know the dates a <laughs> yeah. lot, lot more than uh, clearly you and I do. Oh, but, yeah, for sure. But I think you know, like, what was happening in the in
0: Yorkville on that club scene was definitely the early sixties. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Neil Young, but uh, Rick James was uh, a part of that, and and I just found that I didn't know that, and and I learned that he was a draft dodger, exactly from Buffalo, mm-hmm. who came up, and uh, you know was in the minor. It started his music career here, and I, he's
1: really there. There are few. The, the pictures are few and far between, but there are some pictures of them playing at the. So The band was called the Minor Birds. The club was called the Minor Bird. Yes, maybe a coincidence. I don't know.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there, the pictures like it's really hard to even sort of see that that's the same guy that went on to you know do Super Freak, Super freak. and have the big dreadlocks It was a different just a different time, different like 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 a wafer thin guy, really short hair. What, did um, he have short hair back then? Yeah, I guess really short hair, hair. Yeah, it's like like I said the the pictures. There's not many and they're not great. But every time I sort of see one, I'm like, wow! I can't even see I can't even see Rick James in there.
0: Yeah. Um and it's it's so interesting to think that Neil Young and Rick James played in the same band. I know. That blows my mind. Yeah. Really I I could not, you know. I just, I couldn't fathom it before. Yeah. I
1: have never heard I've never heard or seen anything that about with Neil Young talking about that. I wonder mm-hmm. if it was just a, a case of there just wasn't that many musicians around so people gravitated together or if they had some sort of particular reason the two of them put something together.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: Somebody out there's yelling again right now because there must be people that know this story, but yeah. I, of I, course. I just don't. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll hear about it. That's good. <laughs> Pass the email. Say it
0: wasn't my fault. It was that guy's fault. <laughs> I'll just toss the blame on you, <laughs> All right. So um, let's get into your tunes here. You mm-hmm. have got a great list. When I saw your list, I lit up because uh, I, I love a bunch of these songs and and the the albums that the uh, the songs come from. And this, as I understand it, is a chronological kind of walk through your life. Isn't yes. That right? Okay, so I didn't
1: approach it so much as these are my favorite songs of all time. I approached it more like these are the songs that are sort of landmarks on the road and getting from uh, when I was a kid up till where
0: we are now. Perfect the songs that make your skin vibrate. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so we're gonna start with Johnny Mathis and Moon River, classic. <laughs> so, absolute classic.
1: And the thing is, I think probably at the time, and you know, I'm I'm a single digit age at this point, and I think I probably couldn't stand the song right (laughs) and my my father was uh as i said the last time we talked my father was big on always having music on in the house and i i gotta say johnny mathis was probably one of his favorites so there Mm -hmm. was a big gap between the music that i was starting to listen to then and what he would what we constantly listen to at home yeah um but as the the years go on you start to realize man this guy first of all moon river is an amazing song and moon river is the song that reminds me most of my father so it has a real huge meaning to me and that can be like audrey hepburn's version or whoever's version mm-hmm. but in in fact when when you asked me to put this list together i had a hard time i don't even think you can get the johnny mathis version of moon river on itunes It doesn't seem to be but i oh. did find a video version of it um on youtube and it's, it's like his voice is just one of the best period yeah and I don't know he's he's still alive now I don't know what if he performs anymore he's definitely alive I I looked it up but I don't know if he plays anymore if he's just uh, walked away from it all but yeah there's something about that the song and this this version of the song that just sort of take me back to the early my earliest memories of of music yeah magical
0: Uh, your next one is Eric Clapton and I shot the sheriff so you're probably gonna hate me for this because
1: uh, I I've I'm a person who will fully admit that I'm not a very
0: big Eric Clapton fan. Okay, stop. I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> yeah. You will not believe this. Yeah. I, I never really got the thing about Eric Clapton. Yeah. I never really understood, you know, and I, I see in yeah. my mind that sign Clapton is God that they used to hold up when he yeah. played. And for the life of me, I don't know what inspired that. I never saw what People thought Clapton. You know what made him so great. But you probably have friends that would argue
1: that point to to the death with you. Oh, I have. One. I, yeah, as so, do I. Um, it just. It never. It never. I don't know. Eric Clapton really never resonated with me. And, and the thing is, you know, the reason this is on the list because what does resonate with me is this is a this single of "I Shot the Sheriff" yeah. was the first piece of vinyl that I bought by myself. Oh, nice. And. That was huge because, you know, I was no longer like beholden to you know having to take have my mom take me to the record store to buy something that I wanted to have. This was yeah. something I went to the store and bought this single by myself. I, I, I remember, I, it was a forty-five, and yeah. I remember I remember everything about it. I remember coming home with it. I remember what the label looked like, and that is why I put that up, put it on the list. Um, I actually probably liked the Bob Marley version of the song better than I did, the Clapton yeah. version. Yeah. Um, and that was probably around the same time that I bought the, bought the single. Um, yeah, I don't know. Was like you know, Eric Clapton did some amazing stuff with like with some of my some of my heroes, like with Pete Townsend and with, with The Who and stuff with George Harrison. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's just that I think his songwriting never really resonated with me.
0: Yeah.
1: So I we're just, supposed to be talking about the best song that I'm talking like,
0: about. <laughs> I'm ruining slagging, your show. Slagging for <laughs> Eric Clapton. No, in in, uh, in All My Favorite People Are Broken, um, we actually had this conversation, my oh, buddy really? and I, because he's a huge Clapton fan, and I'm not. Yeah. And I don't slag him. I just say I don't really understand, yeah. you know, what makes him so great, because I've never really heard him play anything that I think, wow.
1: Yeah, it's. it's I mean, to me, it's just like what resonates with you and what doesn't, yeah. and like that for whatever reason doesn't but you know I have like I said lots of friends that would would shoot me for saying this yeah. but just I mean like, can you quantify that can you can you sit down when the, in your quietest moment and say this I know why I like something like uh, when it comes yeah. to music when it comes to art yeah I don't know there's I mean there's, there's little things you can point to here and there this is why I probably like this and but yeah no I can't I can't say why I don't like I wasn't a big fan of, of Clapton but yeah, love him in Pinball Wizard though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's still playing, isn't he? Is he still? Well, working?
1: he's he sort of went through like a retirement thing, but I don't know if, like he said, he wasn't going to be touring um, full time anymore, like a lot mm. of a lot of people from that era are doing now. Yeah, but I think you know, like I'm sure he plays. Like it's always funny because I you know I have I have a friend that uh, moved to got married and moved to England um, a long time ago, and she would she would tell me stories about. Um, you know who would be playing in her local pub, and it was like Amy Winehouse, and mm. uh, what was what was Amy Winehouse's boyfriend's name back then? Like she would see these these bands just sort of show up and do oh the Baby Shambles guy yeah yeah, yeah. Like just show up and do sets and like you know and that's true here too like you know like, like yeah. you know Gord Downey went and I just watched that
0: clip yeah
1: with him and Joel Plaskett oh that's amazing yeah uh, I was so um, the Horseshoe's 70th anniversary yeah. industry party was uh, two nights ago Yeah. and I got invited to play with Basil Donovan and I saw and that it was so wonderful that's was was awesome great experience uh, Jeff Cohen who owns the Horseshoe now was asked on stage by uh, was it by CBC or by Dave Hodge Dave Hodge was the host which was another great thing I got to sort that's of hang great. out with Dave Dave Hodge for a bit backstage he's a super nice guy cool um, but was asked what his favorite moment was and his was that the night that Gord Downey jumped up with uh with uh, Joel Plaskett and did that song and there's some pretty good video evidence on on YouTube of it so
0: yeah yeah I I watched one this morning like I said I love this town and uh yeah I think they just made up some of those verses off the cuff right
1: it sounds like yeah yeah but well it sounds like Gord's entire verse was completely made up yeah um but uh you know Toronto's a big city so you may not get that Who's showing up and playing? But if you're in a sm- smaller town, like musicians, they play, right? They want to play, yeah. So they'll play wherever they can. If they're not on the road, they'll go play what, whatever's open to them. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You know, my my buddy that owns uh. Graffitis in Kensington, and he's like, uh, that—that's coming to the end of its run because he's closing it down and moving out east. Mm. Um, so we're—we're we're doing a show there fairly, pretty soon. That's going to be the last one. But nice. he tells stories about Garth Hudson from the from the band showing up and saying, "Hey, you might I play your piano?" and sitting down and playing a whole night's worth of. Beautiful, you know that like guy was a mad scientist of uh,
0: uh, as a player. Just a so, treat to walk in mm-hmm, on something nice. like that.
1: I mean, if you're if you're in tune and paying attention, there's all kinds of crazy things that happen. That that uh, you know the stories about about Prince showing up and playing with uh, Jerome Godbu and stuff like that. Yeah, in uh, in uh,
0: Yorkville, like yeah, it's great stuff. What's the uh, backstage like at the Horseshoe?
1: Uh, it's small now, um, mm-hmm. but it's uh, yeah, it's nice. It's a nice little room off to the side of the stage. So you know. Toronto, I mean, I think a lot of the Toronto clubs from that era, that the whole idea of a backstage, like you know, Elise the same thing, yeah. wasn't really a big consideration. I think yeah. I don't know why. I don't. I mean, maybe the whole idea of separating the artist from the crowd wasn't as big in the fifties and sixties. I don't know. But um, yeah, but it's a nice little room. Um, I was uh, there to see Billy Bragg nice. uh, not too long ago, and it was a great show. And I don't know him well, but I'd played with him a couple times before. And when I was leaving, one of the people from the shoe said, "Oh, hey, Billy wants to say hi." So we went back and hung out for, awesome. half, for about half an hour. That's cool. Which was so cool. Like a wonderful man, and uh, he always gives me these little uh, weird um, guitar tips when you when you see him. Oh, really? And this time it was that he was uh, he he was tuning everything. I don't know if I can tell these these might be secrets, but when he when he did the uh, album, um, "Don't Try This at Home." Yeah the entire album he wrote that entire album in a drop D tuning and he said it just sort of gave me all these ideas and it's like when he told me told us that it was when I was in most low mm-hmm. it was like oh yeah it makes sense now I mean there's this there's this dissonance that runs through it that I wasn't uh, a student enough to pick up listening to it but once once somebody tells you that it's like oh that's cool interesting so and th- and this time he has this whole thing about how he's tuning his guitar to sort of preserve his voice as he gets older so yeah yeah um, but anyways cool stuff
0: wow beautiful I, I, I saw him about five years ago at the Danforth yeah and the, the seating was in and so it, this is the first oh, show yeah. that I'd ever been to Stephen where I actually sat down you know cause really? usually yeah. so and, and my friend and I uh, were joking about it right so uh, Billy comes out and everybody, you know, gets up. Yeah. Right. And so he says, no, 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 no. Everybody, sit down. I oh, understand. really? No, we're all old here. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so he encouraged people to sit yeah, down, which is great. And I kind of—it's funny because you feel guilty. It's like I shouldn't. You know, I'm at a rock show. Right? Yeah. But it's so nice to sit down.
1: It is. It's funny because the last the seated show I saw at the Danforth was uh, Adam Ant. Oh wow. And there, there, they shouldn't have had seats. Like everybody stood for the whole show. Yeah, like, from minute he came on stage, and yeah. people were on their feet. Um, I've also seen Wilco many times at Massey Hall, where Jeff like berates the crowd for staying seated. Oh, really? Yeah, I think, and I get that. It's like you know, you want that. It's, yeah. There's something. There's something next level as the live performer when you know <laughs> a seated crowd stands up. When Lost and Low did its 20th anniversary show at Massey Hall, yeah, we ended that sort of run that year with a show at Massey Hall that was unbelievable it was so fun to play there um i'd worked there as a kid for seven years awesome. as the Nashers, so kind of go back and actually play the stage was amazing but when the show ended um the promoter said to me like that's one of the few times i've seen the audience stand from beginning to end with no. shows now he's not talking about the, he's talking about shows he's done there so yeah but it was cool like people like literally got up on their feet the minute we came out came out and stayed up until the show was over so oh, that's great that's cool. except for three people my two daughters and my sister. sat we were in the front row, and they, I was—I kept going. No,
0: no, no, no we're getting down. That's hilarious. What did you guys? Uh, what Don't did you kill me for telling that story? <laughs> what did you uh, do as an encore for that show?
1: Uh, we did three. We were we because there's a sound. There's a uh, time curfew there, right? You have to. Yeah. Be, you have to be like completely done by eleven. Did by eleven, yeah. So we did three songs that weren't Shakespeare songs. Um, oh, really? Yeah. One know. of them was a song. One of them was a song that's on this record. We, we were starting to fool around with um, things I wish I'd never seen. Jimmy and the Moon. Yeah, from Jimmy and the Moon. Okay. And uh, so we did that, which I complete. I started in the wrong key, and somehow the rest of the guys stayed with me. So I give them a lot of credit for that.
0: Oh, that's so great. Um,
1: I'm not going to remember what we did. I'm trying to think of what it might have been though, because. Um, I would imagine it was stuff from Lucigenia, but I'm not totally sure what we did. So you played Lus- like
0: played a little while well tonight in the. Well, that's
1: that's set. we did the album chronologically, so that that stuff all happened. Like it was so we did the, we were doing Shakespeare My Butts anniversary tour. Oh, so we did that album chronologically, and okay. then came back for three non Shakespeare songs, and
0: one of them was that song, and the other two are gone for me right now. I don't mm. remember. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so back to your tunes, my friend. Now you're really speaking my language here with KISS and Detroit (laughs) Rock City. I'm a huge KISS fan.
1: uh, Well, so I was a huge KISS fan, and I think I was in uh, grade 7, I guess, and from grade 7 to 9-ish, my friends were all KISS fans. Well, that's not true. I had one friend that wasn't a KISS fan. He was very much a Stevie Wonder fan and an R&B fan. Um, But a lot of the people that I went to school with were KISS fans. And then... I left that school and went to Lee High School, mm-hmm. and my musical tastes changed completely. And I think it was so much being a product of who I was around. Absolutely, and that's when I got into like you know stuff like the Clash, and and I think the music that kind of formed my life. But Kiss, for those years, like I, probably those were my days of being an ultra fan. Like I, I wanted to meet them, I wanted to you know go to every show they did oh, in yeah. town. Yeah. Um, I wanted to buy every. Every ap- every issue of Circus Magazine that had them on the cover, like, and loved loved the band, loved the music. So, yeah, this is um, Detroit Rock City, right? Which yeah. is uh, like that. I don't know something about that. The way that song starts and the the yeah. intro riff when that when it it sort of the, the volume gets raised on the on that first riff. It's, it's like and a, they come a, in, and Paul Stanley has a great voice. He has a great great voice.
0: Yeah, he does. I bought this when it came out. I think I was probably eight i want to say and you know simmons does that talking piece before he's supposed to be on the radio doing the news or something and then you know it's i guess it's through the lens of somebody who's in a car listening to it which is presumably paul stanley yep and i remember that just being fascinated with that i think that's gene simmons talking yeah it sounds like him you know so i was completely dialed into that too and at the very end he crashes the crashes the car Right. So it's almost like this little kind of story. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, again, that's Bob has production too. Yes, absolutely. It's a great production. Um, yeah. And you know, kiss, kiss is one of those bands that has, you know, their, their uh, songwriting has been called into suspicion Washington. over the years. Like it's not <laughs> all been quality. So, but that album is a great record. It's oh, it is, record. man. Yeah. Like, you know, that's just scratching the surface. It has Beth on it and uh, yep. Shout It Loud. Flaming Youth. Flaming Youth. Yeah. Um, yeah. King of the Nighttime World. And, great uh, song. God of Thunder. Yes. Yeah. That's some good stuff. Yeah. Sweet pain. Yeah. Only just the, just listing these names off is bringing back, like, all these weird memories because I think we just was, named all the songs yeah, on the
0: record. <laughs> were pretty close, yeah.
1: That was... Uh, Like, those were three intense years of listening. Like I said, I've said to you before, I'm a real sort of voracious singular listener. Yeah. And that was three years where I probably didn't listen to anything but kiss. Like, nothing but kiss. Yeah. Same. My
0: parents must have hated me. Holy cow oh yeah no my mom hated kiss (laughs) oh yeah they weren't kiss fans that's for sure no they definitely were not and i devoured this stuff you know and that was the back in the in the day these bands were putting out like three records a year yeah right so destroyer came out rock and roll over love gun and it was just like you could not get enough those are three great records though yeah right. like well i remember listening to love gun
1: um We were on tour in the 90s, and we, uh, you know, you would buy cassettes and and truck stops just because you needed something new to listen to. I remember thinking, yeah, that kind of ends up, that one didn't really pass the test of time for me. The the production didn't seem as... Love Gun? Love Gun, yeah. Some good songs on it, though. And then sort of after that, I started to,
0: like, I wasn't much after that, but I no I yeah. think Kiss Alive 2 and Double Platinum came out after yes. that because they kind of I think Love Gun was the last album they kind of made at their own accord yeah right and then they kind of started to lose the plot and then it was I Was Made For Loving You and uh, yeah. uh, Unmasked Unmasked The Elder yeah I was gone
1: by The Elder yeah um, but Unmasked I think was probably the last Kiss record I bought I don't think I can name a song off it for you
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it was, well, it, it's not really anything, you know, whereas um, <laughs> Dynasty, <laughs> it, I was trying to think, like, it's kind of the, it's disco, but it's, it's not, it's not. Yeah. It's not, it's just kind of a hodgepodge of nothing. I, yeah. um, Anton Figg plays, it's not Peter Chris, but oh, it's supposed right, yeah. to be Peter Chris, right? And it's just extremely kind of directionless. And it's like they kind of went through all the scrapings of what was left over, yeah. maybe in, tried to mold it into something that was feasible but uh-huh. just uh-huh. not good yeah i mean i think by that point
1: for me i was i would sort of lost interest in it but yeah ended up with that record
0: and, and as i said i don't remember it at all so and yet you know the power of of kiss nostalgia wise is such that if unmasked comes on i'll tu- I'll tune into it and listen to
1: oh, it oh there, there you go you know yeah. there was yeah there's a lot of power in that sort of blast from the past element yeah. that that you get when you hear stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, Detroit Rock City is absolutely that for me. It's just that, oh, that yeah. riff and listening to it late at night when you're, you know, in your early teens. And
0: yeah. It's the yeah. best. Yeah. Yeah. And KISS is they're still doing it. Yeah. They have the KISS Cruise that just happened last <laughs> month, I think. And they sell our childhoods <laughs> yeah. back to us, really, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay, enough kiss. Yeah. Um, I could go on all day about kiss. So your next tune, Stephen, is uh, t- by Tom Petty, and it's uh, it's a great deep cut from uh, Damn the Torpedoes, It's Shadow of a Doubt, Complex mm-hmm. Kid. Um,
1: it's a g- great track, and that album. Um, you know what? What a horrible year this has been with losing musicians. Yeah, and, and Tom Petty was like the biggest surprise because nobody expected that. And no. You know, he was only sixty-six, and had just finished a week before finished a world tour, and you know, I mean, certainly he didn't expect to be there, which is such a shame. Yeah. Um, but that record, "Damn the Torpedoes," was like I really have to give that record credit for the guitar player I am which some people might say well then it doesn't get much credit but um, (laughs) but I learned I'd I'd taken about nine months of guitar lessons from a guy at Dave Snyder's music in Toronto Wow. Um, and I don't I think I think he's I don't know I don't know that I wanted to stop I think maybe he stopped teaching there and when he did I sort of thought I would take a break and Mm -hmm. uh, on the lessons and then I think I put the guitar down for a little bit and didn't do much with it. And then I sort start, of would start, I'd come home from school and I would put this record on in my bedroom and just play along to it all yeah. night. And like, I remember the I had one of those record players that would, once it would get to the end of the side, it would just go back to the beginning and yes. just keep repeating. And I would just sit there and play through it and through it and through it. So I think I really learned uh, song structure from that album and like, you know, you're gonna learn rock song structure from somebody like how about tom petty like oh yeah honestly like we we um at the record release we covered um uh time to to move on from wildflowers which like wildflowers is like a top five record for me of all time yeah and uh but this album and you know as this is sort of diagramming a journey through life and music this album for those years sort of like
0: probably post kiss years like literally again, you know, I listened to it a million times. It's a magic time for music in my opinion. So I would say, you know, 75 to maybe 82 cheap trick, Costello, Mm -hmm. Petty, Springsteen, like it's really, great, great records, great, great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it was a great period for American music for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And your next tune is uh, by the clash Spanish bombs, another great track.
1: Uh, well, so uh, the, the album that probably changed my life was *London Calling*. I wasn't I wasn't in in tune with the Clash as early as a lot of people were. I sort of missed the first couple albums and went back and got into them later. But this record, um, you know, literally changed everything I wanted to do with my life and with music. And so the whole album is amazing. This song sticks out to me because we try low to low we'd often we'd often try to cover songs and we thought this one would be would be perfect yeah. and we tried to learn it and there's something mystical happening with this song like you just really? i don't know what it is it's a very simple chord structure but we just couldn't get something that we felt like would be would translate really? and i don't I, I there's something like there's the whole story so there's the Vanilla Tapes that uh, got released when they did a reissue of this in whatever the 20th anniversary it must have been. So must have been 2000, right? This is a 1980 album, or yeah, yeah. yeah. So 2000 they did the, the Vanilla Tapes, and that was the uh, demos leading up to London Calling, and it does demystify the experience a bit because um, it really does sound like four guys in the garage playing these songs, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But that album is so exquisitely arranged, that I think. Producer guy, guy Stevens, I believe his name, so, yeah. had a lot to do with that. And you know, you hear stories about when Mick Jones was was recording uh, guitar solos, he would take this metal fan with an electrical fan, remove the safety covers from it, and swing it at his head <laughs> as he was recording solos to try to get him to play something you know beyond what he was capable of playing <laughs> I but know that. yeah it's like there's a lot of great stories about <laughs> london calling and you know and uh if you joe strummer's uh book, book redemption song tells a lot of these things too yeah um but i don't know what you know because we we covered we played all these songs like uh um, clamp down and london calling and uh, yeah. brand new cadillac but we tried to add Spanish Bombs as a song um, with lows to Low, and it just was like, no, nah, we can't do this. Nah, we can't, we can't do this song justice. Really? And I don't know if that's why I picked it, but I, I, it was always one that stood out to me on the record. It's just a beautifully simple. It's a simple punk song that's sort of so so well done. Mm-hmm.
0: So, well, you know, good for you for not going ahead with it, though, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of bands kind of say, yeah, we'll just put it out there anyway. Oh yeah, no, no, no I think covers are pretty sacred to me like I mean yeah. if you put
1: for me it's always like you know when you're in a band you obviously make some compromise but when <clears throat> now that, it's, that I've got my own band it's like we do stuff that I, I want to play like I'm the singer so I got have to, have to sort of make the leap and like we don't want to do stuff that we can't do it justice yes um I agree. and I think you know I, I'm playing with a caliber of player now that uh there's not many things we can't do justice to but um still like you have to be you know you
0: have to be respectful of that I believe Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree with that. Your next tune is an oft-covered artist. His name is Bob Dylan, and it's a "Simple Twist of Fate" from "Blood on the Tracks." Blood on the Tracks. Yeah. So, so "Blood on the Tracks" is again
1: one of my top five records of all time, and now we're moving on to a period. I I came to this part of Dylan a little bit later than it existed like so. You know, I, I knew I knew all this music when it, when it was coming out I, mean, I was around long enough too yeah. but it wasn't until later on and I think the period that sort of most I most remember about my sort of crazy Dylan uh, days were when my uh, first daughter was first born and this album at that point was you know by far and away my favorite so I, I should probably little it was when um, Lois Lowe broke up the first time in 95 and it was after that couple years after that I was asked by a guy who was a promoter that was doing uh, these Sunday night um, shows at the Rivoli huh. um, and his thing was he would get a band to recreate an entire record which and this was kind of in the days when when classic album live wasn't wasn't happening yet yeah. so we did all of blood on the tracks and it's one nice. of my one of my huge uh, huge uh, badges of honor is that I memorized every lyric on that album except for a, I need a little bit of help with. Uh, the, the king of like you know like the, the long, yeah, the long the deep song. deep yeah. deep tracks yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was that has like 21 verses so that one was hard <laughs> but what an experience playing this whole record it was it was just a just a that's awesome the best but uh so simple twist of fate was the song that caught me first on this album yeah and we did my one of my bands covered this song and like i love it i just love it it's just like a sort of it's so lilting and simple and that bass line is um it's sort of kind of a like, a subtle counterpoint to what he's doing vocally and, and yeah. it's, it's a perfect song
0: yeah I like that you picked this one because you know typically people would opt for "Tangled Up in Blue yeah right the first the, 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 the lead off track well there you
1: go I did a, I did "Tangled Up in Blue at the Horseshoe 70th so there you go oh did you <laughs> <laughs> also a good song though, so, oh uh, it's and, a great song yeah.
0: yeah okay your last tune Stephen is by Sean William Clark and uh, it's called In Conversation
1: right so this is the this is life as I know it now. So Sean is a uh, Toronto singer songwriter. I think he's actually not from Toronto originally, but uh, maybe maybe Peterborough. Or, no, I really I think he's from <laughs> um, Sorry, Sean, that I don't know that. Um, his album uh, prior prior to the one he's just put out now it was called Topaz. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was called William Sean William Clark. The album is called William, and this song is is from that album, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite albums of the last ten years. Just a like a beautifully written, beautifully recorded, so subtle, yeah. Um, and this song is like as good as songs get. It's got he's got this weird thing where he sort of straddles this line of a lot of things that have happened in the last like five years, but also firmly uh, borrowing from sort of the Simon and Garfunkel yeah. type. And I don't even know if he would if he would respect that opinion. But to me, that's what I love about this sort of clash of. Of decades of music and and like you, there's a lot of a lot of things that, that that are sort of I wouldn't say like um, I wouldn't say it's like, Arcade Fire, but there's some stylistic things that remind me of how Arcade Fire would record a song, mm-hmm. and his new record Topaz is awesome too. And uh, again, one of these guys who like just seems like he's, he changes every time, and this record's got a whole different vibe to it. Yeah. It's a little more jammy. It's a little more. Uh, some of the songs are a bit longer. Um, but he's got a beautiful voice too. And he's a super guy, he's a buddy of mine, so I you know, I just sort of sort of thought that was a good way to end to this point in my life because, you know, I mean, there's tons of records that I love right now, but um he's He's a uh you know, I wouldn't say he's incredibly well known like I don't think he's had that kind of radio success that most musicians would like, but boy, he can write a song and he can perform a song, so
0: yeah, I actually listened to this tune and it's got kind of a an early iron and wine vibe, oh, of that's you, true, yes, okay, that's good that's a good that too? person too yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's I like uh, that. it's just so beautifully subtle and
1: and uh it's um it's unlike a most stuff you know, like what's the what's the not Iron and Wine but there's another another performer that reminds me oh this is this is bad bad uh, indie <laughs> podcast right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> indie folk
1: yeah like from, from American indie folk uh, put out put out a record this this year with or lot like early this year that has a lot of sort of stuff done with a vocoder and uh, we both know who it is I just can't think of the name it's not right Sufjan now. Stevens no not, not Sufjan but um,
0: uh, anyways it'll come to be as soon as we shut the microphone off it always does. <laughs> <laughs> we see the guy who went out and recorded that record out in the wilderness, his first album. It might be uh I can't remember his name, but uh, I think I know who you're talking oh, about. Oh bon- Bonnie Bear. Bonnie
1: Bear. Yeah that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. There there's go. a little bit there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of stuff that Sean does that reminds me a little bit of Bon Iver's first yeah, record. Yeah. Not this, not this latest one because it's uh, I like the I like the latest one, but it's very it's a very different thing. But yeah. I just really sort of see Sean. And like, he's just me one of those guys that changes every time he makes a record, and that's really cool. Awesome.
0: Well, that is the end of your list. That's I, the, the end, end of the list. Great list. It's fantastic. Again, another great chat. Thank, Thank you. you very much for coming in, and I want you to come back because I want to do like ten more of these. With
1: oh, me. cool! I'd love to. Yeah, it was so, so much fun sitting back in the easy chair here it's wonderful yeah i know yeah. it's nice
0: and comfortable right <laughs> so steven stanley the new record is called jimmy and the moon catch him around toronto and um any other places you're playing at all
1: well we're yeah we're planning to uh, i think we'll do once the winter sort of dies down we'll be we'll be out on the road in hopefully in ontario and then it looks like we're going to be going to Europe and Germany, Germany. in uh, in July, which is so cool. We've we got, got an offer for a festival called the Static Roots Festival, which we're definitely going to. Yeah. And then we'll try to build some some dates in Ireland and in the U.K. as well around it. Really? So I can't wait. The album comes out in the U.K. and the States in the new year. So Okay, good. Oh, well, this is
0: in 2018. So Excellent. Yeah. Best of luck with that, my man. It's a great record. I think it's going to do well. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me, Brent. You bet. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and Mr. Stephen Stanley. Until next time, take good care, folks.
1: Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.